Good morning. As Adam kind of pointed, we're in a series called Chain Breakers, talking about the things that uh, our enemy uses to tie us up, to hold us back from the potential that we all have in Christ. The life that we're looking for is out there. And as unique as, as every person is, we all have some very similar battles, things that our enemy uses against us to blind us from the reality of what God is trying to unpack for us. And this week we're going to talk about something that's heavy for a lot of people. We're going to talk about shame. Now, uh, some of you may think shame has no kind of hold on you, but friends, shame is present. It comes in all kinds of packages. Uh, Shame could be a terrible choice that you've made at some point in your life. It could be a secret sin that you struggle with and you hope no one finds out about and so you hide. It could be something that you hope no one will ever find out. For some folks, shame resides in not something that you did, but something that happened to you. And you struggle with who you are because someone that you loved or trusted broke your heart. And now you just feel broken. Well, we want to start in the verse that we're using to tie all of these messages together. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And folks, if we're not careful, actually, if, if we're not strategic, we are going to be held hostage by shame. And it will impact and damage every relationship that we have. Because when we feel shame, we tend to hide and isolate ourselves. We hold on to the things that we're trying to hide and we struggle. Well, this morning, I'm going to say something uh, several times. And it's not because a typo or because I was running out of words. It's because it's an important truth. And I want you to get this. Shame is the mask that the devil puts on our pain so that we hide from community with God and community with his people because that's where healing is found. Our, Our enemy wants to destroy us and hurt us and he understands how we're wired and he wants to use that against us. So we're going to look at the beginning of shame. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to uh, the book of Genesis. If you're using the YouVersion app, just click on the, the events. Find Miamisburg Christian Church, and the notes will, will pop up on there as well. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, "Before well, it doesn't say this. Actually, we're setting it up. Before there was sin uh, in, in the world, there was no shame. Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden without sin, the Bible says, the man and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. Now, it doesn't mean that there's nobody else to spy on them and they were both really remarkable specimens. It's really speaking to the idea that they felt completely comfortable being completely known. Because community at that point was Adam, Eve, and God. And they were good with it. And then... 
the evil one came. Because that presence of, of perfection had to be messed with. And essentially, he lied to them. He said, hey, you know, that, that one rule, that's, that's not really a rule. God's holding out on you. There's more for you to experience in love and life. And so you should try it. Hey, they did. They sinned. And with sin, shame entered the world. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, they weren't good with being fully known. There was shame and blame and the weight of guilt. And then in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sounds of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. A sound they were familiar with. A sound that elicited a response. We run to the presence of God. Right? Wrong. Instead of looking for him, they hid. They guarded their secret. They hid because they were ashamed. Isn't it interesting how shame causes us to separate and isolate? It doesn't even have to be big things. Sometimes it's the stuff that weighs heavy on you, and it's big to you, and that's enough to make us feel the weight of grief and shame. So here's a question this morning. What are you ashamed of? What, what, what is it about you or that's true about you or your past that you don't really want anybody to, to know? It may be a thing that's not a big deal to someone. You know, you might be, I don't know, a Kenny G fan and, and it, you just wait, carry that weight of, of no, you know. <clears throat> it, it, it may be um, decisions that you've made that uh, you're not proud of. It may be that you've accumulated debt in your life and, and, and you, you want to hide it, but you want to stop it and you just can't. You just keep doing things that you know better than to do, but you just keep stepping in it. Maybe you don't feel very good about yourself. Maybe you're ashamed of the way you look. You, you realize that, that time and gravity have not been your friend. And you're not comfortable with the image reflected back in the mirror anymore. And you put your value on what you observe and you wish you could hide. Maybe years ago you aborted a child or, or had an affair. Maybe you lived in some kind of a past that was very explicit and sexually active. Maybe you've done something that got you in trouble with, with the law. Maybe there's this thing that you really wish you could go back and change, and you certainly don't want anybody to know what it is, and so you carry it along on your own. Maybe you were the victim of someone else's abuse. And this is an odd thing, but even though these people are victims, they still bear the emotional weight and feel it a lot of times as if it's guilt. And so they're ashamed and feel broken and dirty. Maybe your dream was to have an awesome marriage and, and it 
didn't work out that way and that divorce hangs around your neck like a scarlet letter. Maybe you're addicted to something and you're trying to stop with the same tools as always and you're getting nowhere fast. So you do what you do when you feel shame. You hide. Well, I want to make you aware of a little bit of information. It's, it's referred to as the shame cycle. Just three things that usually happen, and this is how it goes. First, you experience something that's deeply painful, right? It could have been any of the things that we just talked about, something that, that you did that didn't work out, something that happened to you, and, and you feel that deeply painful experience. The second phase of this, if Satan has his way, is that you connect what happened with who you are. You will connect what happened to you or what you did with who you are. That's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, well, I did something bad and I feel, I feel, I feel bad about it. I feel guilty. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt is I did something and I'm not proud of it. Shame is I'm a horrible person because of what I've done. It's connecting something on the outside with who you are as a person. And the enemy loves it when we own our past like that. We feel something like uh, I, I failed, so I'm, I'm a failure. Th this person rejected me, so I'm obviously not worthy uh, of love or respect. We think, I, I've done all these things, and you don't know what I've done. There's no way that God could, could love me where I am. I'm bad. I'm dirty. I'm no good. I'm broken. I'm damaged goods. First, you have this painful experience. Then you connect what happened to you with who you are. And finally, this, this is Satan's goal. You become a prisoner tormented by your past. That's how the shame cycle works. Bad event, I turn it into who I am. What I did is who I am. And now I'm just going to hide. I'm going to build walls and I'm going to hide there. Because of what happened, you feel this deep sense of separation and separation from God. We, we separate ourselves from, from other people. This is never going to get better. My life will never be the way that it could have been. I'll never recover from this. I'll always be marked no matter what I can do. I'm trapped. I can't get out. I'll never fully recover. Shame. Desperation. Isolation. What do we do? Part of the answer is what you're doing now. You're at church. Hopefully you're not just here to, to visit and sit. Hopefully you're here because you're seeking community. You're seeking to be known by other people, to, to let down the guard, to, to take off the mask, to see people for who they are and, and be known by those people. You see, that's part of what confessing is. And we talk about confessing and we think of it in context of telling God what we've done wrong. First of all, it's not news to him. <laughs> and, and second of all, if that's the only thing your conversation with God is like, it's going to be pretty boring. So confessing to God is really kind of you telling him your story, the, the bad and, and the good. It's, it's listening. 
So confessing it to, to God is part of it and, and sharing it with other people. Now, let's slow the roll. We, we share that with trusted friends. The, the stuff that you struggle with, the fragile parts of your heart, you share with people who've earned the right to be let in. Okay? And then you talk with them about it. Hopefully it's somebody that you see as a little bit further down the road, a little closer to the Lord than you are, a little more experienced than you have. And you share that. Talking about it is step number one for just about everybody. Because shame is the mask that the devil puts on our pain. So we hide from community with God and community with God's people. Because that's where healing is found. Your enemy doesn't want you to have that. He wants to destroy your relationship with God and with other people so that you are isolated, that you hate yourself, and that you feel like who you are is all you'll ever be. And I want you to consider a couple people this morning. I, I made references to them in the notes. It's Judas and Peter, right? So you, you, you may be familiar with their story. Judas is the guy who betrayed Christ, he, he kind of literally sold him out. And he hated it. He saw that Jesus was condemned, Scripture says. And then he went back and he took the money back and he's like, I don't, I don't want this. This is bad. This is horrible. And they, you know, tough luck. And he ran out, isolated, alone. And the Bible says he, he took his own life. Now we've got Peter. Peter did basically the same kind of sin. He, he kind of sold out Jesus. He didn't get paid for it, but he was asked and denied, and that not, not with me, don't know what you're talking about. He sold out the Lord. Same basic sin, same day. But we read the scripture and we find out what happened and you know the whole crucifixion in the tomb and and we find Peter with the disciples fishing right in the upper room he's with the group he's in community he sees Jesus they're fishing in a boat he sees Jesus and he's man he's hiked, coming out to get with Jesus because he wants community with Jesus he did this thing but this thing isn't who he is. It's just this thing I did. And so he runs to Jesus. He has community with Jesus. That, that's a beautiful story. Uh, sitting, it's, it's, it, that, that conversation, you know, Peter, do you love me? Look at the context of that. That wasn't Jesus and Peter walking over. And like, We'll be back in just a second, guys. It was in front of everybody. They had this conversation. And... <laughs> Peter is restored. He, he didn't isolate. He sought out community. He was willing to accept the forgiveness that Jesus had offered him. And his story ends a little differently. On the day of Pentecost, the very first time the gospel is proclaimed, whose shoulders does it sit on? The most qualified man on earth to speak to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So this shame that we carry, I want to ask you, friend, what are you going to do with it? 
If you don't handle it well, it, it, it can kill you. It can rob you of your peace. It can rob you of your joy. It can rob you of your future and your friends. And you get it? What are we going to do? The results are dramatically different. The sin is basically the same. One sought community and forgiveness and received it. Here's what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the power to demolish strongholds. Interesting. In the Greek, okumura, it's a word that usually means to, to fortify something, like to build a wall around it. You know, to to stack things up and protect this thing. But in context with what we're reading, it's like, it's it's almost like to be a prisoner of, of deception and lies. To be behind this wall that we've built to hide ourselves. Shame is the mask that the devil puts on our pain so that we hide from community with God and his people because community. Is where healing happens. So we, we have this power to get rid of strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish these arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Here's the work that we have to do. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Do you know what that says? When the devil is whispering the lie, you're not worth it. You're a loser. You're always going to struggle. When that junk starts happening, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. That's, we, we agree with God who says, you are a child of the king. You are forgiven. On the cross, it is finished. wasn't just talking about Jesus' job. He's talking about your soul. When we claim the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given us, it is finished. And we need to live like we're bought and paid for. But there's a problem, right? Um, I, I know that I struggle with shame. Stuff I've done, stuff that's happened, I struggle with it. I went to Bible college. I got a piece of paper on my wall. It says I ought to be smart. But I still struggle with it. I've been a pastor for 30-something years. I, I should have this stuff figured out, right? I still struggle with it. <laughs> Am I a loser? Am I just goofy? Am I weak? What's the problem? Well, if you'll let me uh, uh, wax a little scientific on you. There's a guy named Daniel Siegel who, studying the brain, came up with this phrase, interpersonal uh, neurobiology. And he, he's understanding the way our brain works, right? So I'm not going to get, like, real deep in everything, but essentially brain, two hemispheres, right and left. Um, um, it, each hemisphere is responsible for, or, uh, there's portions of your brain. He, he says that there are nine identifiable uh, segments of your brain that handle different things like speech and motor, emotion, and all those kinds of stuff, right? But there's this central spot 
uh, called the prefrontal cortex. That's like in the, in the old days, the switchboard operator, they get a signal coming in from here, and then she takes it and reroutes it to this place because that's where they're trying to get it to go. And they're just constantly getting a signal and sending it to this place that it's supposed to go. That's the prefrontal cortex. Well, the problem is, as we're little, we start learning stuff. We, we start learning vocabulary and how to walk and how to use the bathroom and, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? And, um, but as we're learning those things, you, you know, two years old, how's your, like a 14-word vocabulary? I probably just still grunted and pointed when I, I don't remember, um, right? But you, you don't have words to describe all these things. Well, while you're still learning, you're still experiencing the world. You think anybody, little kid, you ever remember get told no? Don't do that. Put that down. Don't you know, these these messages? Well, you don't get all the verbal words as a little bitty kid. You just get you read the whole package and you relate to it on an emotional, on a neurobiological level. So what happens is this stimulus comes in. It's received by your brain. The prefrontal cortex decides where it's going to go. How am I going to respond? And so this connection is made. And as more and more connections happen, this thing starts to happen that this guy named Donald Hibbs, who, who came up with this thing that was referred to as the Hibbs axiom, essentially it says neurons that fire together wire together. And the premise, you've seen the commercials that talk about neuroplasticity, train your brain, right? It's a real thing. Now, I'm not endorsing the commercial, but uh, it, it's a real thing. So as we get older, um, the, the, the levels of neuroplasticity, the ability to retrain, it becomes much more difficult. Not impossible, but much more difficult. So all these things that happen to you in your life, you, you just keep firing, and they keep wiring, and you keep running down this path, and you say things as an adult like, this thing happens, and bang, I'm zero to 60 in a heartbeat. I hate that about myself. I don't understand why. You're not broken. It's not that you don't believe this word is truth. It's you're undoing a bunch of physiology. You're retraining your brain to process something differently. You're trying to move from react, uh, reacting to responding. And way before Higgs and Siegel ever put this on paper, God in his word said things like, transform be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember the, all the things that are pure and lovely. and Think on these things. They'd have said psychology back then, but nobody would have known what it meant. But that's what it was. It was truth. It was science. God was trying to let us know that if we're going to retrain our brain, we're going to have to be purposeful, intentional, and have a plan. Praise God, he has a plan. He has his word. So if we're going to break free from the shame cycle, there's a couple of things that we have to embrace. Number one is obvious you can't change the past. I'd love to. There are things that I would like to go back in time, right, and tell myself, don't do this, don't do that. You see that person, just go, just go the other direction. You know, just, just this whole list of the things that I regret being a part of or having happened what I can't. Remember King David? He betrayed his good friend Uriah, slept with his wife, ended up having Uriah murdered, and then when Bathsheba was pregnant, he took her as his wife. And God said, 
there's no blessing on this. That child will die. So while the, the, the baby was sick, David fasted and prayed and cried and begged. And then the baby died. And he stopped. David's servants didn't understand what was going on. He, he's like, you know, you were freaking out before this happened. Now that it's happened, I don't see the grief. I don't see the... the where are you? What are you doing? Second Samuel 12, 22. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and, and let the child live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? No. Solomon understood the consequences of his sins. His decisions and actions cost him his child. No amount of grief was going to undo that. He had to do something else. You know, you look at the life of David and the stuff that he did, and then you read he's a man after God's own heart. Man, you gotta, you got to sit in that for a few minutes to figure out, this guy? Why this guy? Because he always agreed with God. He, he did stupid stuff, and then he agreed with God, and he came back and he sought community with the Heavenly Father. We have to embrace the fact that there's nothing we can do to undo our past. The second thing that we have to recognize or embrace is that Christ can change your future. Your past is just that. It's behind you. It's who you are. As a counselor, I tell people, it'll always be yours. You just get to pick the suitcase. Right? The stuff that you drag behind you can be a steam trunk, or it can be one of those cool little things with wheels that you can just run through the airport with. What's it going to be? How are you going to process who you were? You can't do anything to change it, but Jesus has got a word to speak into your future. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things. Do you think he, do you think he meant the, the dark things? The things that, that you've never uttered the words to a human being? Do you think you meant those things too? That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have, who have been called according to his purpose. Every one of those things have meaning. And here's the power, friends. Just like Judas and Peter, basically they did the same thing. Peter... Peter carried that weight on his own shoulders alone, and he took his life. Peter stayed in community, and he sought out forgiveness. And one died a tragic death, and the other found purpose for his life and meaning. The very thing that you despise could be the platform from which God wants you to teach there's a beautiful passage of Scripture that says, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our time of trouble, right? He has a plan for that. So that you can comfort others with the comfort that you received from God. Boom. My pain has a purpose. When, when I recognize that nothing that happens to me can't not be redeemed by the God who formed me, then I say to Satan and his mask, 
get behind me. Get behind me. You see, who you are is not what you did. Who you are is not what happened to you. The book of Jeremiah says, I know the plans for you, declares, I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Yeah. You see, our past can't be changed, but our future doesn't have to be chained. Job chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. I, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to internalize it. I want you to own it. I, I pray you would experience it. Yet, if you devote your heart to him, to God, and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell on your tent, then free of fault, you will lift up your face. Free of fault. I think we could insert without shame. You can look your God in the eye and receive the love that he has died to give you. And stand firm without fear. And you will surely forget your trouble, recalling it as water's gone by. It's no longer a thing that torments you. It's a no longer a thing that confines you or chains you or traps you. It's this experience that God has turned into a platform for you to stand up on and bask in the glory of whose you are. I want you to pray about this message. Because like I said, some of you, uh, you, you recognize that you are dealing with a, sh a, a thing in your past, something that you're ashamed of. Some of you, and I'm re frankly, I'm really more worried about these people here. You've been dragging it so long you forgot it's back there. This ball and chain that's behind you, and you just don't know why you can't run. I want you to stop and, and pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. You need to have a conversation with God first. And ask him to help you see the stuff that's holding you back. And then I want to encourage you to have a conversation with somebody you trust. Somebody that you know knows Jesus. You know, the kind of person that if it really went sideways on you, that would be the person you go and ask to pray for you? Yeah, that person. You go talk to that person. And you get the resources and you start the process because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be this process that, that piece by piece you start undoing a lifetime of connected to the wrong thing. And it's going to take work and time, but you're going to find out that you're going to break free. And that same old way that you used to react, you're going to respond like a child of God with no shame and no condemnation because you're free. That's who you are. And so the next steps that are, that are written in your notes are intended to help you with that conversation. You, what are you ashamed of? You, you, you need to be honest. You just don't have to be overly graphic. That's to keep from freaking out the person that you're going to talk to and to, to hold down your level of embarrassment. 
Just tell them enough of the story to get it out there. Is there something in your past you need to release to God? It may be to seek forgiveness. It may be to forgive yourself. I like to call it get off your own back. It may be a conversation you need to have with somebody. Like, I'd like to, but that person's dead. Write a letter. The same catharsis will happen. Get it out there. How can God turn your past hurts into something for his good? There are people who tell stories. Some people refer to it as their testimony. And you hear that and you're just floored. Not because of the graphic details of the thing, but just because of the amazing way that God has worked in their life. And you say, I want some of that. He made more. He made plenty. And you can have some. This time in our service, we come and we call it the coming around the Lord's table. Where we remember what Jesus has done for us. Where we celebrate the sacrifice. That that little piece of bread and that little cup of juice. Here's what I want you to know today. As a Christ follower, if you take that in your hands and you put that bread in your mouth and you put that juice, I want you to remember your value. Because Jesus said... I love you enough to die for you. In Romans it says, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's my paraphrase. I'm a Kentucky boy, so bear with me. In the middle of my mess, and this is speaking to my shame, in the middle of your mess, you're good enough. You're good enough. You're chosen. You're special, and I will die for you. And then he did. Your past is behind you. Your future is in front of you, and it can be amazing. But we got to deal with the way we process what's behind us. It can be different. Receive that gift. It will change your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the links with which you went to redeem us, to buy us back. The great links that you went to to communicate your love for us. The value that you speak into each one of us, God, is immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine so God our prayer is today that we would do the work of holding on to you that we would help a friend through a a difficult time that we'd stop building walls that we would take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ when the devil speaks a lie we're going to remind him of the truth God thank you for that truth Thank you for making us your children. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. For showing us how to live. And then paying the price 
that belong to me. Thank you. And we pray this through your precious name.